My friends, welcome to Killstreak. This is episode 14. I am Eric Goslin, and uh, joining me, as always, Michael Price. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm very good. Uh, I wonder, have you considered toying with a signature, you know, catchphrase to open the podcast? Yeah, like, like YouTubers are always like, hey guys! Um, <laughs> yeah. I think, I was, I was actually thinking about it as I was getting ready today. To record, and I, uh, I'm circling around. Hello, my future girlfriends. <laughs> uh, but I also I didn't want to gender it, so I think it's sure. hello, my future girlfriends and boyfriends, and people who don't identify as either. <laughs> How about you're you all going to be in a relationship with me? It's a long. Yeah, I, I'm still working on it. I think you could just pick a non-gendered term. Uh, you hello, know. my partners. Hello, my lovers. <laughs> yeah, future lovers. I like future lovers. I like future lovers too. Greetings, future lovers. I'm gonna write that down because yeah. I will forget. I also like it because it, it could mean a lot of different things. So, uh, you know, with the exception of the fact that we're recording this right now, if you ever had to feign ignorance, I don't know, with your wife or something about what what that meant, <laughs> you'd just be like, you know, uh, futurists, people who love the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People who yeah. are really big into sci-fi, yeah. impractical sci-fi. Like, oh, this is what cars would look like in 50 years, <laughs> which yeah. is caskets at this point. Ooh. <laughs> Given our yeah. current tra- trajectory. <laughs> Wait, so you're saying people uh, are going to dri- drive caskets because they're just they're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're going to die soon. So, oh, because they're <laughs> already dead. Got it. Cool. Um, so on that cheery note, we're here. <laughs> we're gathered here today to talk about Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Yeah, it, it is, is the, the fourth, the I, fourth in just, the series. I was going to say, doesn't it feel like this series just flew by? It just flew by. I can't believe it. We're already on the final such a big chapter. Deal. Oh, speaking of, actually, mm-hmm. can you take get a load of my shirt? We got a Friday the 13th. Holy shit, that's awesome. So, for the viewer at home, it is a shirt that is a very stylized, uh, let's call it an, an illustration of Friday the 13th VHS boxes stacked on top of each other. Yeah. So, it's, uh, all, it's going in order. Out. I'm going to give a shout out to the people who make these. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm double checking because they're okay. Yeah. It's a uh, studio house designs and they make a lot of these um, like stacks of VHS tapes. They've done Friday the 13th, Halloween, John Carpenter movies, and they make some really cool horror mo- uh, movie shirts and stuff. I, nice. I'll tag them on this because I right. have a few of their shirts and they're great. The big question is, can I get one with a stack of Airbud DVDs? <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe you could get a custom job made. All right, fair <laughs> enough. I will reach out to Studio House promptly. 
so yeah, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Um, I guess we we like to... I don't guess. We like to talk about, you know, if this movie's even worth visiting or, you know, watching if you're on mm-hmm. the fence about it. Uh, for me, it's an enthusiastic thumbs up. I, I thought this movie fucking ruled. <laughs> yeah, I think um, just the real fast gut check. Totally. Check it out. This is a fun Friday the 13th movie. Um, yeah, so go watch the movie and then come back and listen to the podcast. We will uh, wait We'll wait, here. We'll wait for... So we're uh, just so you listeners know, we're going to pause for about an hour and 30 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And then... So that way, the people who are watching the movie don't have to bother with pausing the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just let that dead air run. Uh, <laughs> don't forget to charge your Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> Uh, so this movie comes out in 1984, I want to say, 84, 85. Do you have that in front of you? 84, April 13th, yeah. Uh, it was, they found another Friday the 13th. You know, I got to say, there's usually one or two a year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, I'm, I am curious, we're not going to do it live right now, but maybe for the next episode, I'm going to check and see how many times they were able to actually stick the landing with one of these on a Friday the 13th release date. Yeah, I mean it's it's really uh, beneficial that it's a movie, which movies typically come out on Fridays. So yeah, it's like a, you know, a cool little trick that they are able to pull out every once in a while, and maybe Definitely. every single time. I'm not sure. Yeah, the thing that that I think would would kind of butt up against this strategy is from a box office perspective. Like, I feel like you want to release your horror movie close to Halloween sometimes if you can. Yeah. To do pretty well, but yeah, who knows? Uh, and now also, like movies just open up on Wednesdays and stuff, just to inflate the box office mm-hmm. even more. Yeah. Um, and also, or, uh, movie theaters not don't at exist. All. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> they open up on HBO Max now. <laughs> I was watching some HBO Max last night. I like their selection of movies. I don't. It looks great. I don't have. Uh, we have a Roku TV in one room, and we have uh, a Amazon Prime in the other room, and neither one of them play nice with HBO Max right now. It's very annoying. Um, do uh, have you watched anything of note recently that you want to talk about on the podcast? Or what the fuck did I watch this week? Shit. Um, you go first. <laughs> I watched Eating Raul last night. Oh, um, it's been a long time since I've seen that one. I had never seen it before. I have, I have it. Um, I just have never seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's enjoyable. It's fun. Um, you know, it's for those of you out there. It's a very heightened uh, satirical comedy, and I would say it's most in line with like a John Waters kind of movie. Like, yeah, the two people, the two main characters are husband and wife who are very square. They're like their last names are literally bland. Um, and they get involved with a swinging, like swingers and it kind of just escalates from there. I don't want to give away anything. Uh, but it was fun. Um, a lot of, a lot of like attempted rape in the movie, which cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was like kind of like the only points where I was like, "Eh, sorry, honey (laughs) for suggesting that. But I think she, I think she enjoyed it. I don't know. I mean, I remember, I mean, I know it's definitely pretty tongue-in-cheek. Uh, yes, I remember yeah. having fun with it, but it's been so long since I've seen it. Um, I know that I rewatched uh, Slumber Party Massacre 2. 
Oh, shit. Um, yeah, in the last week, uh, certainly one I've seen a couple times, but uh, for those who aren't familiar with the Slumber Party Massacre series, uh, pretty fun, above-average slasher stuff. Mm-hmm. Note- noteworthy for being the only major horror franchise ever that's directed entirely by women. Um, right. Did you Did you know that? I did. I knew the first one, uh, which is the one I'm most familiar with. Uh, yeah, was and I, I guess I didn't realize that they maintained that throughout the rest of the series. They did, and I think it is largely, if not exclusively, female writers also. So it is. Mm-hmm. It is, um, pretty much you know, overall, just a it's a, a female dominated uh, production, and the second one in particular. Uh, starts to kind of get a little bit more experimental. Uh, it's fun. Man, uh, I don't have any memory of part two. I know I've seen it, but I've so, watched part one a bunch mm-hmm. of times. Like that's that's kind of like this movie or with like Halloween. I've seen the first one multiple times, but have only seen the sequels maybe once a piece. Sure. Um, yeah. So the uh, the movie introduce part two introduces the villain as a sort of reincarnation of the killer from the first one, who's uh-huh. sort of like a rock and roller with a drill oh, bit right. guitar. In a guitar, yeah, 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 I do yeah. know. Yep. And the soundtrack is really good, like the the sort of... Uh, the, the women who make up all the victims are part of a band, uh, kind of a la the Go-Go's. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and they have I like a bunch that. of... Yeah, there's like a bunch of original music in the movie, like written by other bands for them to play. But uh, do you yeah. find that with because we're doing this podcast that you're reluctant to watch like a horror movie or like a horror movie in a franchise? You're like, well, I'm just gonna have to watch this again soon, maybe yeah. soon. Who knows? The latter, yes. Uh, I think yeah. I'm still watching horror movies, but I'm deliberately picking things. That either I don't anticipate us doing any time in the near future, or that just aren't part of, <clears throat> excuse me, part of a franchise. I think, like, um, the original Halloween 2 popped up on Cinemax the other day, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, it's been a while since I watched that. We talked about that, because, you know, in a, in a conversation about one of the last Friday the 13th movies. And then I was just like, no, you know what, I don't know when we're going to have to cover halloween but i don't want to have watched it too recently yeah yeah Yeah. um uh i lost it oh well doesn't matter um oh shit what the fuck that doesn't matter so friday the 13th the final chapter (laughs) let's talk a little bit about the uh this how this movie was came together because in a lot of ways they were anticipating this to be the final chapter and they brought in some heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, it seems like they recognized the mistakes they had made with part three, at least yeah. story-wise. Yeah. And it seems like a, they're trying to make good on the franchise. I Yeah, I think in terms of story and casting, and I obviously, like, you know, right out front, we can say they avoid all of the missteps that came along with the 3D production. Um, yes so that's no longer a factor here 
Um, and yeah, we've we've poked fun a couple times that this is obviously not actually the final chapter of the Friday the 13th saga. But like Eric was saying, that was their plan. Um, definitely, I'm sure there were people involved in the production who were not so set on that. But, you know, the intention was to make this a movie to potentially end the series. Um, largely, I think, because because of movies like Friday the 13th and obviously Halloween slasher movies had become the, the market was so saturated yeah uh, at this point by like 84 slasher movies were the thing in horror it was you know half of the, all the horror movies that came out were just the same kind of copycat stuff and and I think people were starting to lose their appetite for it yeah I know um a lot of critics especially just were like so yeah. sick of of this deluge of of basically teens in the wood movies um and myself personally i love them so much <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's kind of my favorite I, I, my so my neighbor is mm-hmm. an older guy he's like in his 60s and he's a huge horror fan just yeah. gigantic horror fan so we've talked a lot about these kind of movies and he like definitely has uh, a distaste for 80s slasher movies like they're mm. just not his thing and he he loves like monster movies from like the seven from the i'm sorry like the 50s because that's what he grew up on you know what i mean yeah and yeah. like these are the horror movies i kind of grew up on so like i always yeah always have an affinity just just the way they look like i fucking love it i love all their costumes i love you know how attractive the women are <laughs> in that very 80s like i'm stealing a playboy from my friend's yeah. uncle kind of way you know what i mean yeah well i mean we've been watching these I've, I've watched the majority of these with with my girlfriend kenda and she just sporadically will just point out something and be like is that why you are into x like you know <laughs> like is that why you like x hairstyle and it's like and it's the answer is always yes it's like yeah i like wavy fucking permed hair and i like high-rise jeans and i like tan Big lines glasses. yeah <laughs> uh the glasses not so much um those oh really I, I, yeah. I like i do like those like oversized like sally jesse Raphael glasses but on on like a babe sure yeah i mean we don't need to dive any deeper into this than this statement alone but all i will say is that my mom wore those glasses oh okay so, yeah <laughs> so they're not my thing <laughs> so yeah but uh to agree with my uh classy co-hosts uh assertion there's something it's like putting on uh a worn well-worn pair of jeans you know or just there's something so comfortable about the the teens in the woods slasher movie Mm -hmm. you know uh fuck the critics that's what i say me too you know some of them are bad you're right but they're still for whatever reason they're all satisfying to me in some way shape or form yeah Um, totally so yeah this one um We've got a new director on board. Miner is out, and mm-hmm. Joseph Zito is in. Uh, Eric, w- did you have a chance to watch Crystal Lake Memories for this one? I did. Yeah, cool. I did. Do you uh, want to bounce? We can bounce back and forth on yeah, the useful I, I trivia also, then. I wanted to talk a little bit about Joseph Zito, yeah. who, for those of you who don't know, did Invasion USA in uh, Missing in Action. 
uh, the two Chuck <laughs> yeah. Norris movies that Canon released. Mm-hmm. Um, and the funny thing about Missing in Action, I don't know if you know this, they shot the first, like there's two of them, they shot, or at least there may be more, but there's at least two of them. And they shot them back to back in the one that Joseph Zito directed was supposed to be part two, but it was so much better than the first one that they released his as part one. And then part wow. two is like a prequel. Oh uh, yeah. And uh, he that's, also, that's really funny. he also made a movie that's um, Tom Savini, you know, not to get ahead. Tom Savini also did the special effects for it called the prowler, which I watched pretty recently. I have um, seen that one. I watched that as part of a uh, a Joe Bob marathon before yeah. he started doing his weekly show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it was. I mean, I don't really like that movie very much. I think mm-hmm. it's pretty pretty boring. But the gore, the the gore yeah. is fucking awesome in that movie. It's got some good kills, and it's yeah, good. That, it's good that you bring it up because that's by and large how he ended up directing this movie. Um, the producers, specifically Joe Mancuso Jr., who we talked about, sort of the um, shepherd of the series at this point, was a fan of The Prowler and liked his work in that. Uh, and after they figured out that Steve Miner wasn't coming back, uh, Joseph Zito was the guy they tapped to direct this one. Um, and yeah, I think we can both. I think both Eric and I are sort of simpatico that I think he did a pretty good job. Although uh, we'll get into it later on. I think when we get to some of the uh, offending incidents, but apparently not an easy guy to work with on the set at times. And I think right, yeah, took took some he liberties. The he seemed like the opposite of Steve Miner as far as directing style goes. Where mm-hmm. Steve Miner, they you know a lot of the cast members just say it was always super friendly, easygoing. Yeah. Zito seems more of like a dictator behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, and you know I mean you can say what you want about that style of directing. It's not one that I personally subscribe to, but it gets results sometimes. Yeah. And, and I think I think actually he does a pretty good job directing this movie. Um, it has like a really distinct look to it compared, com- especially compared mm-hmm. to three oh, and yeah. all the performances are pretty good. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. And I think, you know, like you sort of, uh, clued into at the top, I think just overall, they put more thought into the casting of this one. Yeah. Um, I think they recognized that their cast in part three was just not very talented yeah um and they did a way better job of casting this one um you know uh we have two big time movie stars basically i mean big time movie stars relative but like you know kevin bacon was sort of an odd he picked before he got famous but i mean in this one so we've got in our main cast both crispin glover right and mm-hmm. Corey Feldman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, this is... And then and on top of that, um, we've also got someone that you and I had texted a little bit about. Uh, <laughs> uh, Judy Aronson was, is, a, is a pretty uh, regularly working actor in the 80s. Uh, a lot of people might know her as Tilly from Weird Science. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's got a couple other solid credits to her name but so this time around we have a cast that's you know 
now again, pretty early in their careers, right? For all of these these people, this is before Back to the Future for Crispin Glover. But I think my point is that they they picked people who went on to be successful because they were talented performers. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh, I remember what I was going to say before, and I couldn't think of it because uh, okay. it ties into uh, part three and also part two. Um, I watched a movie called Neon Maniacs, which is streaming okay. on Amazon and also on Tubi for free. Um, it's a really interesting sort of a slasher. It's like I guess technically a slasher movie, mm. but it's like about a group of mutants that live under the Golden Gate Bridge and they come out at night and okay. kill people. But like they all have gimmicks. Like there's like a samurai one, and there's like it's it's fucking weird. Okay. The special effects are pretty cool. It's a fun movie. Uh, n- Although, like you know, at that point in the night, I may have had a little, a little uh, chemical help, and and also was looking at my phone quite a bit. But it's yeah. a fun movie. Uh, okay. But long way of saying, the guy who plays Paul, Paul, yeah, from the last in this movie. One? Oh, in the last one. Okay. In the last movie, the one who uh, is Vicky's boyfriend, the one that's killed, chopped in half. I, th- I think that guy. Sure. Oh no, maybe okay, it's yeah. this movie actually. Anyway. <laughs> One of the characters is in the, is in there, and also the woman who plays Sandra from Part Two is also mm. it, makes an appearance in that movie too. So it was a weird little like confluence of of uh, Friday the Thirteenth actors who just happened to be in the in this Neon Maniacs movie. That was all. I'm gonna That's... I'm gonna double check when uh, what character that guy played. Gotcha. So, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you go figure that out. Um, oh no, he's in this movie. Yeah, sorry. He uh, yeah, he plays okay. uh, Paul in this movie. Paul in this movie, sure. Yeah, is have we had multiple Pauls at this point across the the four movies, or is this? Uh, our we've first had Paul? multiple Teds. Uh, yeah, we that. definitely have multiple Teds. Although this one's more of a teddy bear than a Ted. Um, so. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> I thought that was a weird choice to to uh, to have. Because, I mean, he doesn't actually play a similar character to the other Ted. Um, right. But similar enough, it's like, couldn't call him, like, Greg or something. <laughs> right, yeah. Let's just mix it up. I mean, maybe... Yeah, they're definitely not, like, stretching too much to try to come up with interesting character names. I'll say that. No. Um, one other thing that I think was a corrective in this movie that I want to talk about, because we talked about this a lot last time. Um, so they have not gone back to the east coast to shoot however i think almost tying directly into something eric and i were talking about last episode it's not that hard to shoot um the west coast for the east coast if you do it right and i think Mm -hmm. in this movie where they continued production in southern california you get a perfect example of how to do this more or less correctly um yeah, more or less. There are definitely some scenes, like when at the beginning when the uh, the, the mother mountains. and Trish and the mom are jogging. Yeah, yeah, that is like looks like a hiking trail in Hollywood or something, or like outside sure. of, in L.A. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's a shot where they're driving in the beginning, and there's just mountains, and it's uh-huh. like yeah, that's probably not uh, New Jersey, um, but. I think, you know, versus, like, where they shot in the previous movie, in this one, uh, for all the lake stuff, it's a real lake. They went, Mm -hmm. you know, north up the coast to shoot on an actual lake. And they did shoot, you know, 
in uh, and around Topanga Canyon, which is a part of uh, the greater Los Angeles area that certainly looks much more wooded and sort of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like a like a natural green forest. So, uh, but just something that I thought, for in my opinion, it's not as good as the sets for the first two movies, but definitely a significant improvement over part three. Uh, also, one of the locations they shot at was Franklin Canyon Park, which is made famous by the opening of the Andy Griffith show, I believe. Oh, I did not know yeah. that. I, I scouted it at once for, I worked on a TV show called Decker, um, and they were, we were looking for like a, a lake scene, and I scouted right. it out. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, little, hey, if you guys ever need any hot tips on locations, <laughs> hit me up. <laughs> yeah. The only the only big location shoot I ever did was in Griffith Park, and uh, it was just I remember the hassle of having to get a fire marshal to oh, be yeah. on our set was insane. Yeah. I was like, and it was just like oh, we're not lighting anything on fire. I mean, it was like it was an electrical thing, obviously, but just yeah, yeah. I fucked up royally on Decker, and luckily, mm-hmm. not nobody. Like, none of the real higher ups knew about mm-hmm. it because we were able to like fucking call. Like it was a miracle. So we we rented this uh this stage, not a stage, like a um, it's called the Wilshire E Bell. It's a uh like a, a theater. That's I couldn't yeah. the word theater. A, uh, a friend of our of the podcast, your boss, <laughs> uh, Adam, got married there. Oh yeah, yeah, they do a lot of weddings there, yeah. Yeah. Uh so but they also have this old theater. Um and so I I got it for a good price. Uh but the one thing was like, oh, if you have smoke machines, you're going to need a fire marshal. And I didn't know mm. that we were going to have smoke machines cuz like that I mean, truth be told, that was my first and only locations job. Yeah. Uh, and I just didn't know. And <laughs> day of they're like, "Oh no, this is very heavily smoke machine." And so like it was also during these like floods in LA. It was like a really heavy rainfall, so all of the fire marshals were like volunteering because like there was, it was like almost a disaster, and so I, I was just like shitting my pants for about four hours until we finally got a fire marshal in, and it, it <laughs> saved the day. I fucked up so bad, like it, it potentially could have di- ruined the whole shoot. And, but luckily did not anyway so so you guys that's how you guys know i'm human you know <laughs> i mess up just like you guys do uh, yeah. i'm not always the coolest person in the room hey yeah, just so you know well you are today oh thank you you're in because i'm alone yourself. in my room <laughs> <laughs> um just a couple other uh notable names and things i wanted to touch on before we get into the recap um so one of the big returning names to this film is special effects maestro Tom Savini. Oh, thank God he's back too. Yeah, he is back, and it shows the kills yeah. are great. The kills are great again. Um, yeah, and I like a, there a lot of talk in the documentary and in interviews about you know this when they thought this was going to be the last one, the idea of coming full circle so he could come out and kind of kill off the characters that he mm-hmm. helped create. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that's great. And then, yeah, cast wise, um, I think we touched on the main ones. The only, the other, I'm mean, the only other person I really wanted to talk about briefly was Jason Voorhees himself. 
um, who for this time out is played by the oldest actor to ever portray Jason, this sort of veteran stuntman Ted White, who at the time was 58 years old. Um, wow. Yeah, but he does it. I think he does a great job physically, and also uh, it sounds like he was. Uh, I mean, he had sort of mixed relationships with the cast, but was yeah. like was a big advocate for better treatment of some of the cast members, uh, and definitely like kind of put himself between the director uh, and some of the young cast members who he felt were being asked to do things that were unsafe. Uh huh. Um, so for a handful of people, including our beloved Judy Aronson, um, he is <laughs> something of a hero. However, it sounds like he also actually wanted to kill Corey Feldman. Yeah, he said he fucking <laughs> hated Corey, Corey Feldman. <laughs> which, which, I mean, it's not inconceivable that Corey Feldman was annoying to a 58-year-old man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see if just kids aren't your thing. But yeah, in the documentary, he's like, I was like, I actually wanted to fucking snap his neck. He's like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> I was a child. Yeah, he's like 12 years old. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think, as we all know these days, uh, Corey didn't have the easiest time as a young man in no. Hollywood. Because uh, it is full of fucking monsters. So. Yep. That's unfortunately true. Um, what's also full of monsters? This movie. No, just kidding. Mm. There's only one. Um <laughs> Still an artful segue. Thank you. Do you uh, do you have anything else you want to want to say about the production or the cast before we get um, into this recap? I don't have anything in my notes. You know, if it comes up organically, great. We'll just we'll talk about it after after the break. All right, let's take a break. Hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll be back. Sweet. All right. This is the Vampiti Diaries. It's a hilarious after-show podcast where a fella named Pete who has never seen the hit CW show The Vampire Diaries discusses each episode with a super fan. New episodes of the pod come out every bloodthirsty Thursday on Apple Podcasts. And uh, yeah, the hosts, Peter Harmon and Ashley, they're great people. He's a very funny author. He's written some great books uh, and he's been a guest on some of my podcasts and his wife is an absolute delight. And check them out, guys. It's going to be fun. If you like the uh, Vampire Diaries, if you want to get into the Vampire Diaries, or if you just want to hear two people talk about the Vampire Diaries and don't want to watch a show, which would be weird. All right, guys, back to our podcast. So, as is the tradition with these movies, we start with a recap from part two and part one. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, oh, part three. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, no. Barely any part three, Did but there is, yeah, from the first three movies, okay. it kind of like, it, it's almost like a greatest hits from the first three movies. Uh, and I appreciated the way that this recap was done. A, it was only about mm. two minutes and 50 seconds of screen time compared to like sure. seven minutes from mm -hmm. one of them. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't just playing the scene straight. It was like edited yeah. in, in an exciting <laughs> Someone... way. Someone actually put a package together as opposed to just just straight lifting the last five minutes yeah, of the previous movie. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we get a really cool opening title. Uh, it's like the mask mm -hmm. uh, with Friday the 13th superimposed over it. And then the final chapter comes from behind and smashes through it and it explodes. <laughs> it's actually made Yes. <laughs> There's... 
it's like a combination of the, now you get smashing and exploding. And yeah. It's like very fun and active. I love know. the heightening of all of these title cards. Um, <laughs> they're going to run it. They're going to, they're going to have to peak soon though. I know. I'm worried about where they can go from here. I know. Uh, so there's a helicopter in a police on the scene of the crime from the last movie. Uh, only yeah, this immediately, time. Immediately money on the screen. We got a helicopter. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, they definitely. I was like, okay, the budget is definitely better for this one. And it's shot at like four seconds. It's at night. It's like dark and moody. Uh, and it just overall just feels bigger compared to the last mm-hmm. movie, which yeah. was like overly bright and, uh, you know, looked pretty good. But uh, this has like a texture to it that the other one didn't have. Agreed. Uh, the police collect the axe that was in Jason's head. And I was really confused by this line that an EMT says. He's like, I'm pretty sure this is what he says. I rewound it a couple times. Mm. This the guy been leaving the wet stuff? <laughs> Did you hear that? And I, think, I guess he means blood. No, I didn't. Yeah, but I assume it means blood. Yeah, I don't remember that line, but I believe it's you. weird. It's a weird way to <laughs> saying blood, the wet stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, EMTs, they're a queasy bunch. Yeah. Uh, so they strap him onto a gurney, load him into an ambulance. There's a, a woman EMT who's like really rightfully freaked out just to like be in his presence. Uh, and then they drive off, and there's, like, this nice, long, quiet shot of just, like, silence falling over the cabin uh, that I thought was just, like, kind of a nice little, like, stylistic touch. I was like, okay, there's some thought going into this movie compared to mm-hmm. the thought being, make sure that yo-yo goes directly into the lens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, better thought going in, for sure. Uh, so in the hospital, they wheel Jason into the morgue, uh, and we get a classic... There should be a super cut of people who work in morgues who are sloppily eating sandwiches. <laughs> well, you got to understand that this guy is unfazed yeah. by gross Exactly. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it happens in Return of the Living Dead uh, and mm-hmm. pretty much any movie with a morgue. Yeah. So the morgue workers even like puts his sandwich on Jason's chest. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, did you recognize the coroner? No, I can't say I did. Okay, so I saw him, and I was like, oh, wait, I know this guy. Where do I know this guy from? And it took me a second. Um, But, okay, so the actor, um, I wrote it down here somewhere. Problem is, he's, like, not called Coroner. He actually has a name. Mm. Do you have his name written now? I don't. Shit. Fuck. Just the Coroner. Um, all right. Well, anyways, to make this slightly less boring. Um, so he, to me, was best known as a recurring character of a uh, rabbi on Seinfeld. Oh, um, I, th- I believe his name is Rabbi Kirschbaum. Um, oh, and he shows up a couple times. Uh, sometimes he, he's also used by Rabbi Glickman. He's the same character, but he just has different names on different episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's great. But yeah, he lives in Elaine's apartment building. Uh, Mm -hmm. and the first time, uh, we meet him, he is like spilling all of Elaine's secrets to everyone in her building. Uh, And then later on, uh, there's another episode 
uh, where uh, he be- he he becomes very attracted to Elaine because of her shiksa appeal. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyways, it's a hilarious recurring character, and the second I saw this dude, I was like, oh yeah, that guy. Um, so anyways, That's great. his name is Bruce Mahler, and most re- reasonable people would, would recognize him uh, from the Police Academy. Uh, the, I know. Oh, who does he play in Police Academy? He plays... Is he like a name? Like... He plays Officer Doug Fackler. <laughs> <laughs> So do with Fucking that great name. Do with that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a police academy name. True. Doug Fackler. Doug Fackler. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Mall. Uh so he makes this weird fucking comments about there's like a cute girl dead body mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. He's like, hey, you see that real cute girl? Oh, she was real cute. Or she's she is real cute. And someone's like, was? Like still is. All you got to do is go over there and take off your pants. Like, it's a weird, yeah. like, seems like it might be an improv or something like that. That's just like, oh, okay, buddy. Yeah, they just they just kind of told him to be a creep and let him run loose. And uh, yeah, I exactly. don't know. Yeah, it would have been nice. Maybe he could have been reined in a little bit. I couldn't. Yeah, I'm sorry, buddy. I can't take that ride with you on this one. <laughs> um, so then he winks at, like, the female EMT. Yeah. Uh, it, so he has the. I thought he was. I assumed he was just sexually harassing uh, the nurse right. in there. But I guess they have a bit of a relationship because he's like. She says she has a headache, and he's like, "I can fix that." Uh, and then I guess they're fucking because they're like into it. And she comes to see him in his in his like little mortician's room, yeah. whatever it's called, a morgue. I guess they would call it. <laughs> no, um, I think little mortician's room is better. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she goes to meet him in there, and he's watching and presumably jerking it to an aerobics video. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and she even like looks at it. She's like shakes her head. Right, and also like you know she, we see some of this aerobics video, and then late in a second she's gonna leave, and it gets turned back on. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just like my note is like this absolutely cannot be a real aerobics video. Like this is <laughs> yeah, it didn't yeah. It's, it seemed like heightened. Right, it's definitely just shot to be like extreme and vaguely pornographic, um, <laughs> and it really turned me on. Um, so she goes in there to meet him. Uh, yeah, and the aerobics video is playing, and Jason kind of like pops up. We think it's Jason popping up from a gurney. And, uh, oh, no, it's him. Yeah. Oh, his name is Axel. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, she gets pissed, and she just came in to watch the news. And on the news, there's, like, a report of the massacre that happened in part three. Uh, and he just changes it back to the aerobics <laughs> video. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's know. a funny little moment, too, where they're, like, in the news report. She's like, and he's being held at what so-and-so hospital. She's like, hey, that's us. And she's like, gets excited. They were mentioned <laughs> on the news. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's also, I there's a cop on the news who's, like, giving some exposition about, uh, about the murders and Jason Voorhees. And he's a guy, another guy who's been in a ton of stuff. Uh, but I thought it was he was worth noting because last time around we were talking about Darren Morgan episodes of the X Files. Uh-huh. Uh, in particular, we talked about uh, Humbug, the uh, Circus Freaks one, 
And uh-huh. I recognized this guy as Sheriff Hamilton from Humbug. He plays like the oh, main shit. the main local cop that Mully and uh, Mulder and Scully work with. Mully and Scully. Mully and Scully. <laughs> That's got to be from something, right? Yeah, uh, it seems like it should be. Yeah. So anyways, that guy's been in a ton of shit, but uh, that was I thought that was funny. You're like an, encyclop- an encyclopedia for faces I, in movies. I do okay. I think I do all right. You know, I, I'm not uh, face blind. I can say that with confidence. So they start to fool around, and Jason's hand falls off the gurney and touches her leg. It kind of just like spooks everybody. <laughs> uh, so she leaves in a huff. Um, and then in the supply, she, she's she like also getting some supply. She says to him this line. You are oh, yeah, yeah. you are the Super Bowl of self abuse. <laughs> I didn't miss that. It's total nonsense. It's absolutely it's meaningless. Uh so something in the Crystal Lake documentary that we saw that one thing they're very conscious of in this is they wanted the audience to be rooting for Jason to come back to life. Mm. Like they just wanted to prolong it and give you some fake outs here and there. Yeah. Cause in the, in the last movie, he just is like immediately alive. You just see him doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in the supply closet, she knocks down some, uh, bottles and then a cut. We cut to in the morgue. Jason, Jason's being put into the quote unquote ice box, like the, the slab that they push you into. And we get a puff of breath comes up, which is a cool little touch. Uh, and also the door doesn't stay closed. Uh, and then Axel flips flips it back to the aerobics video. And Jason comes up behind him, slices his throat with a hacksaw, yeah. and then twists his head fully around. Yeah. It's fucking rad. It's so gruesome. Yeah. It's so cool. Body count's one. So then in the... Uh, in the supply closet, Jason picks the nurse up by her neck and slices her belly with a knife, with a scalpel. I guess I wrote a knife. Uh, body count goes up to two, and then we're uh, we're jogging with Trish and her mother, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Jarvis. I don't think she gets a first name. Nah, she doesn't. Um, it's clearly California. I wrote in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> we get a little bit of backstory of like Mrs. Jarvis has recently or has divorced from Trish and Tommy's father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now they're kind of like starting, starting over again in this house in the woods. Uh, inside Tommy's playing video games <clears throat> and wearing a crazy alien mask. It's great. It's a, I mean, the only problem I have with this mask is it's like it's clearly something that like Tom Savini put together, and it's like that's t- yeah, it's like too good of a mask for a child to have and be wearing. Yeah, exactly. Because he he made it. He has like a, a whole studio where he mm-hmm. makes monster movie masks. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I remember. I don't know that I disliked his character the first time I saw this movie, but I I really liked him more on this second viewing or maybe third. I don't know. I don't know how many times I've seen this one. Um, and then we got a whole group of teens. Laz writing some names fast and furiously. <laughs> yeah. We got six teens in a station wagon with the, yeah. with the back open. Um, uh, you got them most notably. Uh, yeah, I do. We have Crispin Glover who plays Jimmy. Yeah. There's Samantha, Doug, Paul, Ted. Did I miss anybody? Uh, Jimmy, Samantha, Doug, Paul, Ted. That's five. There's one more woman. Uh, it's uh, 
It's the it's like our fake out heroine, Sarah, right? Sarah, yes, yeah. the virgin girl. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert. When the movie starts and they kind of set her character up, and I, you know, having uh, not seen this in quite some time, for a while was laboring under the illusion that Sarah would be set up as the final girl yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, they're clear, clearly trying to make you think that. Um, so Crispin just got broken up with, and Ted is har- like razzing him about it. Yeah. Uh, Paul and Sam are a couple. Um, and <laughs> it's, uh, what's his face? Ted said, well, the reason why she broke up with you is because you're a dead fuck. Mm-hmm. And that really gets Crispin's goat. Um, and that pretty much consumes him for the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And I like the blow to the scene is he just rubs his face and says, God, I'm horny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Crispin Glover is truly one of a kind. Um, uh-huh. And kudos to the casting folks from this movie for seeing uh, a diamond in the rough and getting him, you know, this is this is a very early role for Crispin Glover. Yeah. Uh, and and I, uh, Go ahead. In that documentary, I guess he kept pretty much kept to himself. And he's an eccentric guy, um, so he was a little bit quiet. But the the actor who plays Ted actually was probably the one on set who was closest to him, mm-hmm. and they were given a lot of opportunity to um, to improvise. And that a lot of this, that conversation in the back was like improvisation they were doing, like the yeah. dead fuck thing, and like you know feeding it feeding it into the computer. Um, that was all improv stuff, right? Um, they and also while they're driving, they pass by Pamela Voorhees' <laughs> gravestone. Uh, yeah, it really oddly placed. <laughs> yeah, it is it's just like on the side of the road in like one of those like little family plots. Yeah, and there's you know, like yeah. you know, like from like 1850, someone's buried here. <laughs> there's like four graves, and one of them uh, where there's a break in the fence, so you can see it perfectly from the road. Uh, <laughs> it's Pamela Voorhees, and also. Uh, this is the first time we've ever learned her first name. Up to this point, she was always just Mrs. Voorhees. I was wondering about that. I'm glad you brought it up because, yeah, that was one of my questions, mm-hmm. uh, was if this was the first time she gets her first name. And, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a hitchhiker there, uh, and they decide not to pick her up. And she, like, flips her sign over and it says, fuck you on the back. At first, it says, like, to Canada or something Yeah, like and that. something about peace and love or some shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's, like, a hippie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so she sits back down and starts eating a banana. And then Jason steps out of the woods and jams a knife through the back of her throat. Yeah. Squishes uh, a banana. Yeah, this is the first... I mean, I think we may... I maybe even said this during the last episode. But definitely, like, I'm... I'm good on stabbed through the back of X, Y, or Z kills at this point. Like uh-huh. it, it is yeah. starting to drag a little bit where it's like, okay, let's get a little bit creative. Uh, there's just so much stabbing of people through things in the, across these four movies now. Yes, there is. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like it's probably, that's probably because it's an easy and effective way to show like something coming through them mm-hmm. or something sticking out of the front of them. Yeah. It's an easy cheat. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the body count is now up to three. Uh, back at the Jarvis house, 
um, the teens pull up in the cabin next door. So it establishes that the cabin that the teens are staying in is right next door. And apparently they actually built that teen house that was not something that was there um, next to the actual Jarvis house, which was a real house. Mm-hmm. So that was something they ponied up to build. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we meet Gordon the dog. Oh, I panicked the second Gordon showed up. I was just like, me too. I was like, I don't think Gordon's gonna make it to the end of this movie. I know, yeah. I know. Uh, Tommy sees the teens. Uh, Crispin says, uh, "Okay, oh, sorry." So they're talking basically just sex shit, and then that's where we find out Sarah's a virgin. Um, and she's freaked out that she's going to have to share a room with her boyfriend, yeah. Doug. I don't even think but it's Sam... her boyfriend. I think it's just a setup. Oh, really? I thought they were a couple. Um, but maybe I just missed something. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely... I think the way that they... I mean, to just jump ahead for a second, the way that they decide to hook up feels very much to me like a will-they-won't-they they kind of thing. And not, oh, yeah. you know, like, and just, I mean, that's, a, maybe I'm being uh, overly sort of uh, libertine about this, but like, even if you're not fucking your boyfriend, I don't think anybody would re- reasonably freak out to find out. It's like, yeah, you're staying in the same room as your boyfriend. <laughs> right, right. You know? Yeah, maybe you're right. Um, I, I, maybe I just assumed. And then, uh, you know what happens when you assume? Make an ass out of you and me. That's really clever. Thank you. I just made it up. Nice. Uh, so Tommy's like it's nighttime and Tommy's awake in his bed and he turns, looks out of his window and he sees Sam changing through, mm. the, through the window and he like really buckles up for the ride, like sits up and like he starts, he gets ready for some peeping. He starts having like a borderline <laughs> epileptic fit. Which, yeah, 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 like kicks and like. <laughs> yeah, initially I wanted to make fun of, and then I was like, well, actually, I think that feels kind of authentic to being. It really does. Like Dude, a preteen just, boy. Yeah. If I was twelve and like saw a naked woman through a window, I would be so fucking pumped. Yeah. I'd be pumped now if I <laughs> happened to like look out my window and see a naked woman. <laughs> and that's those are the lives we lead. Yep. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, it cuts to the next day with the teens, um, and they meet this couple of twins. I never got... Oh, I eventually got their name, but I can't remember what their names are. Uh, Tina and Terry. Tina and Terry. Another Terry. What? Yeah. It's uh, funny. They're really, yeah, they're really stretching out with the, uh, with the naming. Yeah, so <laughs> these two... Uh, Tina and Terry, played by real-life twins, uh, the Moore sisters. Uh, they are English, um, mm-hmm. and uh, one of them is named uh, Camilla. The other one's named Carrie. And I like I like to point out that they are English because, as you mentioned in our text chain, one of them is much better than the other one at, pre- yeah. <laughs> at doing an American accent. <laughs> yeah, one of them like. They probably gave one less lines. I don't even know. I don't know which yeah. one's which. Um, but <laughs> because, like, 
it's her English accent or American accent is pretty rough. Right. And it's hilarious because her fucking twin sisters is good. It's fine. Uh, yeah. And it's to me, it is. They must have just figured it out too late. They had already shot too much stuff because it's such a simple fix to just be like, okay, you're both British. Like, oh, yeah, just who, be British. Yeah. Who fucking cares? <laughs> yeah. We're just like, you know, a couple of a tourists, you know, visiting Camp Crystal Lake. Or we're just British and we live here. Yeah. It, there are a million ways to fix this <laughs> that aren't to have literal identical twin sisters where one has an English accent and the other one doesn't. <laughs> um, so they all go to the lake. Sarah breaks off for some reason. Yeah. She's, um, she's just being we weird. Hear Jason music. Yeah. She's being weird. Uh, she gets spooked and Jason, we hear Jason's music. Like he might be stalking nearby. Mm. Um, and then the guys, Jimmy, uh, or yeah, Jimmy, uh, Crispin Glover and Ted are both like heavily into the, tw- the twins. Yeah. Yeah. Cause well, cause Glover has still been obsessing over this dead fuck thing. It's like half, right. It's half the conversation to get there. Uh, but yeah, then these two twins come rolling up on bicycles and they're cute and they both got sweaters falling off the shoulder. And he sees... <laughs> yeah, they're dressed ridiculously. <laughs> yeah. Like matching clothes. Uh, yeah, they... I love a twin... Twins dressing the same. This feels very uh, double mint gum. Uh, it does, yeah. Bicycles. They really do feel like the double mint gum twins. Yeah. But I think old, old Crispy Gloves, he sees a real opportunity to, uh, to ditch his dead fuck label. Yeah. I bet Tommy made some Crispy Gloves, too, watching through the window last night. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably more like crispy socks, but yeah, it's neither here nor there. Um, so they decide to go skinny dipping, uh-huh. and we get tons of nudity very rapidly. This is the most nudity that's ever been, I yeah. think, in a Friday the Thirteenth movie up until this point. I mean, it it's hot and yeah, heavy. it's basically like because uh, what is it? It's it's the Terry scene from part two, only times five people. Uh, it's uh-huh. great. Yeah. We get some equal opportunity nudity. Nudity. We get some. We get some solid dude butts. Do we see? Yeah, any, we get some dude butts. Do we see any dong? I don't think so. Okay. I don't believe so. All Maybe right. I'm gonna fire it up on the TV here. You keep talking. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. You get going. Uh, then the Jarvises pull up. It's it's Trish and Tommy. Um, Tommy sees all of the naked teens, and he is fucking pumped. <laughs> and he says a crazy line. Some pack of patootsies, huh? <laughs> yeah, very relatable. Trish wants to, like, he's like, oh, you clearly can't be here. Yeah. Um, uh, so just- on the way back, there- oh, what were you going to say? No, I just wanted to, um, you know, shout. You have the Roku remote in your hands. You're actually firing the scene up. Yeah, I've got it. It's live right now. Um. <laughs> you know, I'll put this scene in the... No, I was kidding. Uh, in the podcast. Um, so their car breaks down on the way back. Um, and we establish that Tommy is very handy. He, he can, like, fix it. Um, or he tries to fix it with a screwdriver. Cut back to the skinny dipping... Sarah, the virgin, doesn't want to go skinny dipping. Mm-hmm. And she's like laying on the dock. Um, 
and Sam fully nude, the aforementioned uh, what's her what's her name? Judy Aronson, who uh, to repeat an oft used phrase, absolute smoke show. She yes, is, she is gorgeous. Um, so she, she like plays pretends to drown, and Sarah gets all freaked out, and then like pops to life and pulls Sarah into the water, fully clothed. Um, so Tommy's fixing the car, and we think Jason's approaching, but it, oh wait, no, it's Rob Dyer. Yeah. And I wrote his full name because he introduces himself by his full name. Yeah, he is uh, another. Now, so now we have our most smoldering man uh-huh. uh, of the of the cast so far. He's a little bit he's a little bit older. He's a little bit more mysterious than some of our more sort of teenaged boys. Yeah, exactly. And he's uh yeah he's mysterious because we don't. He says he's there. He's a hunter, but like you never really believe what he's saying. He says he's hunting bears. Bears, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like makes zero goddamn sense from the jump. Uh, but Trish like automatically likes him, yeah. and even like when they give him a ride back to their house, and Trish like invites him in, and Tommy's pumped too. Like he thinks Rob Dyer is a really cool dude. So like they come in and Tommy immediately sh- like brings him up to his room, all excited is, to show him his like, monster movie shit. I've got something real neat to show you in my bedroom, and it's like <laughs> all the other adults, Rob included, should just be like, you know what, Tommy, let's pump the brakes a little bit here. Uh, but no, he goes and he sits on his fucking bed with him. Um. Yeah, and Tommy's room is full of monster masks. He's got this fucking rad, like puppet head, monster puppet that's like looks. Like a Boglin times a million. <laughs> it's like it's it, you bring up a good point. It's just like clearly Tom Savini made these, right? And he's a, he's a genius at this kind of thing. Yeah. And so you don't necessarily buy that a twelve year old is able to do this, but it's still pretty cool. Yeah. Like, one thing I'll say about this movie compared to especially Part Three is everybody kind of has a personality. Everybody has a thing that they're doing. Oh yeah, they've put so much more work into character development here, um, and again the relationships and stuff. And I do think, you know, you brought up in the past, especially when talking about part two, the value in making the characters sort of get along more, and yeah. they mostly managed to pull that off. And I think that mm-hmm. even the ones that have some conflict, like for instance, like Jimmy and Ted. Uh, like they're still supposed to be friends and they kind of right. are like messing with each other more than, than they don't get along. Right. So do we have an update on that, that skinny dipping scene? Uh, you get a little bit of silhouetted uh, dong from behind, you know, like through the legs through the, as they're yeah, running yeah. <laughs> into the water, but it's mostly just a lot of butt. Um, and yeah, some quick uh, toplessness from the twins and, just like some very solid full frontal nudity from Judy Aronson. It is a nude scene all around. Yeah. Um, you gotta, so you gotta, go- when I, <laughs> when I, uh, go through seriously listing all of the nudity and I am like, yeah, it's important that you like follow up with some quick little joke or something to keep the conversation <laughs> moving <laughs> as opposed to just like just letting, letting it hang. linger out there. Just like, all right, yeah, I, th- I think price is done now. You know, I'm sorry. 
Uh, I should have supported you more in your perviness. But, yeah. Uh, you know, I just don't stand for that kind of thing. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. As as longtime listeners of the show know, <laughs> I'm very puritanical. Uh, I don't say disgusting things yeah. on the reg. Mm-mm. And Mike knows that as a friend. I don't know why he would even suggest yeah. otherwise. Yeah, I need you to uh, betray your morals and just cover for me once in a while. <laughs> Um, so back at the teen house, they're partying. Uh, there's a pretty rocking tune. Uh, I meant to look it up, but it, it seemed like it was a real song. Um, like, yeah, you know what I'm talking about it's like the I "No do. Way Not Tonight" song. Yeah, no way. I, I my notes in all caps. It says "No Way Not Tonight." Um, I did not look it up. I'm looking it up right now. But yeah, so this is something that Crispin Glover puts on the stereo. Uh, yeah, the song is called "Love Is a Lie" by Lion. Is Lion spelled standard spelling? Standard on Lion? spelling. Lion band. Lion rock band. Here, the magic of Google happening before us. Lion was an American rock band best known for the theme song in Transformers the movie. Holy shit! Yeah, uh, and then their debut song. Is this Love is a Lie from Friday the 13th, the final chapter? And they also had two songs on the soundtrack of The Wraith, which I think is that weird. Oh, car that movie's movie. awesome. I should yeah. see that. It's actually good, huh? Well, I mean, good is relative. Okay. It's very fun. And Cheryl, uh, Sherilyn Fenn? Is yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is in it and. Oh boy, just a total fucking smoke show in that movie. See, Mike, I'm a human like you. I, I, I can express these things. Yeah. I don't think she has any nude scenes. You have desires. Which might, you know, I know you like, you might uh, punch a hole through a wall. No, I just in anger. I just go turn on boxing, Helena. She's, yeah, yeah. I've never seen that actually. Uh, it's not good, and it's weird, and uh, also she eventually gets, I think, all four of her limbs amputated, but. Uh, before that happens, she's naked a lot, and after it happens too. So, you know. Uh, ooh, and after. Uh, yeah, didn't David Lynch's David Lynch's daughter directed that? I believe that's correct. Yeah, and that's a one of the only um, real uh, legit starring roles that I can think of for Julian Sands, the uh, eponymous warlock of the warlock films. Oh man. Warlock. We're gonna have to do that. We're gonna have to do Warlock. Because we are. I've never seen it. Well, I, I, I've seen parts of it. I think that was like parts. on Cinemax or exactly, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm fascinated by it. Uh, um, maybe. Yeah, I mean, we should do it. Let's do it. Let's put it on our calendar somewhere. I'm down. Okay. Um, but anyways, Lion. No way. Not tonight. We were back in the living room, and I want to say this song fucking is a jam. It is. And then, what's his face? Uh, fuck, Lamo uh, Doug. No, not Doug. Who's the other dude? Paul. Ted? Paul. Paul. Paul's not about oh, it. Oh, right, yeah, Unless yeah, you yeah. turn it off. But I'm jumping ahead. We've got some great Crispin Glover dancing. So you get yeah, back. Yeah, Crispin Glover dances like a fucking maniac. He asks one of the twins yeah. uh, to dance. And he just, like, goes all out. It is worth looking up just for this. If you if you're not watching this movie, go just look up Crispin Glover dancing in Friday the 13th and I'm sure there's yeah. something on YouTube. I'm sure there's supercuts and shit like that. Yeah. Um but yeah, then fucking 
Paul goes over and turns it to some lame ass, you know, slow dance, slow dance music. Yeah, kind of forcing everybody to slow dance. Uh, and then uh, Doug. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot about the Doug. Uh, who is with? I want to say Sam? Sarah. Sarah. So it's Sarah. Doug is the one. Okay, so who might hook up with oh, Sarah, and then Paul is the one who's pair who is dating Sam. So this is something I should address because for uh, basically an hour of the movie, I thought Ted's name was Doug. <laughs> and so there might be some random dugs when I mean Ted. Okay. So Ted is trying to get with the other twin. Yeah, and he tries. To, he's using a fucking teddy bear as a prop to try to. Yes, that's right. And yeah, yeah, it yeah. is very um, aggressive. It's unpleasant. I don't care for it. So there. So one of the twins makes a real power move to upset the ecosystem of this friendship and she stops dancing with Crispin Glover, mm-hmm. Jimmy, and then comes on to Paul, who's yeah. with Sam. Yeah. Things are getting really complicated. And before we get into this love, uh, sep- you know, sextet, or whatever it is, I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you think at any point in time in real life that three or more, like three couples have just slow danced in a living room? <laughs> no no never right you, I, I can see i it, know i've never done it i can see it happening with one couple if you're in a particularly sappy romantic relationship uh-huh. maybe dancing yeah. is a thing that is meaningful to the two of you and it happens in bigger groups in halls and bars and you oh, know sure yeah venues if, if there's dancing if you're at a place to dance then you dance but if you're if you're just like at a party on a cabin in the woods. Right. Like, fuck no, I'm not slow dancing. Yeah. With anybody. Yeah, and we've get six people slow dancing. Three couples just slow dancing around a couch in a living room. It's weird. <laughs> it is weird. Yeah. It seems like a, it's like an old man thing he would write into us. Well, you know, the teens are slow dancing <laughs> yeah. to the to the Frankie Valley. Mhm. Um So then we come back to Trish and Rob Dyer. Uh, she walks him to the edge of the yard saying goodbye and invites him back if he ever needs a shower. Um, She's feeling back it. In, yeah, she is feeling the Rob Dyer. Uh, Jimmy is feeling rejected because the twin is like hitting on, on Paul and Ted makes fun of him for being a dead fuck, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, Crispin has a kind of funny line. Right, it's like, well, in, in you got the hotter one of the set. Yeah. <laughs> the set. And she, the hotter one comes in and overhears this. Yeah. 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 Uh, so Paul and the twins are shotgunning beers. Sam is obviously threatened. Mm. And Paul's being, a fu- Paul's being a dick to, like, even humor this lady yeah. in front of his girlfriend. Yeah. Um, I have two notes for this scene. One, that is not how you shotgun a beer. Two. Oh, no, yeah, it's going everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Two, what kind of jackass would even consider fooling around on Sam? It's I know, I know. Like That's a thing. This guy. Because she is so attractive. This guy has other, it, he has it made in the shade. He is, he is already winning the weekend. I know, I know. It is, it's real, real dickhead move. Yeah. Um, 
man, I wrote, man, this twin is really coming on to him. Yeah. Uh, so Sam gets pissed and says she's going to go take a swim, kind of like throwing it out there for Paul to pick up on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, yeah, it's wrote, Paul's not a good dude. No. Um, and then Ted is pissed because his twin is coming on to Paul. Right. Um, and then Sam, we get another skinny dipping scene. Yeah. With, uh, Sam solo. Solo skinny dip. There's a, a, apparently this was like 30 degree weather when they shot the scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know, she ends up for reasons that will soon become obvious, spending a lot of time, uh, in this raft that's sitting out in the lake. And so, yeah, I think you mentioned the temperature. This is where we get one of these behind-the-scenes stories about static between uh, the director and the cast, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Judy uh, was freezing. Mm-hmm. And just Joe Zito basically was like, no, nah, just stay in there. Stay in the – stay in the when she's in the raft. Right. She, and, um, I think she was repeatedly asking to get out of the raft to get warmed up in between takes. And he was, you know, being uh, kind of pigheaded about it and just like, no, you got to stay in there. We got to get these shots like we can't afford to. Uh, and she and this was one of the things where uh, Ted White, uh, the, the stunt man and the guy playing Jason Voorhees, basically said he was going to walk off the set if uh, if Josito didn't get her inside and warmed up and she got hypothermia yeah um, good on ted white for standing up and feel bad for her for not being able to stand up for herself yeah uh yeah i mean it's not surprising on a set like that so yeah oh. uh so she goes skinny dipping i guess she thinks that paul's gonna chase her but unfortunately somebody else is following her and that man is jason Voorhees. Mm, i'm so She's mad skin- at paul I know. So mad at Paul. She swims up to a raft, gets in, waits for Paul. And Jason pops out of the water and stabs her through the raft with a machete. And it pops out of her back. We get a body counts up to four now. And then finally, Paul comes to his senses and he uh, says he can't do this. And he goes to check on her. And so that twin that, mm-hmm. that was hitting on Paul asks Jimmy to dance. She just wants to fuck. Like this this twin <laughs> Anybody is but hot Ted. To yeah, yeah. Which who can uh, blame her? He's his move set is not sophisticated. It's limited. <laughs> uh so this pisses Ted off even more because he had his sights set on her and she asks Jimmy to just go upstairs. She's like, hey, yeah. don't go upstairs. And uh that leaves Ted and the other twin and she's not feeling it. Yep. So they kind of just are sitting on a couch by themselves. Uh, Paul goes to the lake to take the swim. He swims out to the raft, and of course, he finds his dead girlfriend Sam. Let me he swims n- the. Let me ask you a question right here. Mm-hmm. Are you bothered at all by the fact that the raft is still afloat? I didn't think about it until you just mentioned it, but yes. Well, you know what? Uh, in the raft's defense, okay. so it's it, it would be the kind of raft that has. Like a uh, outer tube, mm-hmm. and then like an inner membrane of plastic okay. that you would sit in. Mm-hmm. So if you puncture through the the plastic, it'll take on water, 
but the uh, the outer flotation ring will probably keep it up. So okay. Is my guess. So we're assuming that there are separate compartments or no compartment of air in the bottom of the raft. In the bottom, but maybe I'm wrong, or maybe it's just separate. Okay. But yes, it is an excellent point that why didn't that raft just sink, especially with like a body in it? Yeah, a body and then a giant machete step. But you know what? I will take it. I think your answer is satisfactory. So he swims to the dock in a panic, and Jason stabs him in the dick with a harpoon gun. Yeah. And fires it, which lifts him up. Uh, it's a little bit hard to see what's happening during this kill. Yeah. But you, you get enough to know that it's not good. <laughs> no, it was real bad for his pelvic area. Yeah. <laughs> uh, body count goes up to five. Uh, the hunter, the bear hunter, Rob Dyer, <laughs> hears this and grabs his machete. Yeah. Um, and he like sees Jason by his campsite as he's stalking around. Uh, and he goes back to his tent and all of his shit's trashed. His rifle is just snapped in half. Yeah. And again, I, I, it's annoying when I'm this guy, I just like to point it out in this moment. I was like, why did you take your machete instead of your rifle? Your gun. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, Jason has snapped his rifle in half. Um, so with Jimmy and the twin, uh, I thought this was a fun, it's like an unnecessary detail, but I think adds a lot. Uh, like when they go to fuck on the bed, the bottom of the bed collapses and kind of like (laughs) falls down and they both laugh about it. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it kind of, it doesn't pay off or there's no reason for it to happen other than it just like kind of feels real. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a really good note. And I think that's true of a lot of stuff in this movie. Which is just, to me, again, it's so much of what 2 had and what I think this has that, you know, you don't get as much of, especially in 3, which is just like, you don't have to do that, but it just makes it Mm -hmm. feel a little bit more authentic. And it's just like a little bit more, there's, it's like they colored it in a little bit more. It's not just an outline, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And you don't need to do that much, but you just have to inject enough real life into these characters and into the setting and it really goes a long way. Yeah. So Ted finds an old stag film, uh, and then he and the twin and Sarah and Doug start to watch it. And then I finally wrote down the second twin is named Tina. So she's <laughs> Tina. And she's over it. She wants to leave. Um, uh, oh, no, no. The, tw- the, the twin with Jimmy is Tina. So she goes upstairs and is like, hey, I want to leave. It's starting to rain. Mm-hmm. And Basically, Tina tells her to pound sand. Uh, so she gets on her bike, and in the shadow of the lightning, we see her being stabbed by Jason. Yeah. Like, you just quickly see a flash of it, and then she's pinned, uh, her body's pinned to the house. Yeah. Body count goes up to six. <clears throat> and then, uh, so Sarah announces to Doug that she's going upstairs, and Doug's like, oh, are you tired? She's like, no. Mm-hmm. do you mind sleeping in the bottom bunk tonight it's like why do you want to sleep in on the top she's like no they're both <laughs> gonna sleep in the bottom oh shit she want to fuck i like this this is a cute this is like a good little flirt scene and it mm-hmm. like and it really i mean again it felt it felt pretty real to me i was like yeah like i could totally see this conversation playing out you know in real life it's kind of sexy in a way it is yeah absolutely um, 
and wrote one of my notes here is like people like each other in this movie. <laughs> you love it. You love people liking each other. I do like I like people liking each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mrs. Jarvis comes home. She's soaked. The house is dark and quiet and the power's off. And uh, the dog's not even responding. And she goes outside to look for the dog, Gordon, and then she gets scared by something. We don't see what it is. And there was so she's dead. I guess we should say like she never comes back, right? Yeah, but we never see her body. We don't. I don't think we see her body. We don't see a kill, but I think it's just implied. I think it's implied that that she dies here. And I think initially they did shoot a scene where Trish finds her body, mm. but they ended up cutting it. I think just for pacing reasons. And mm. at that point, it's like Trish had already been through enough. Yeah. Uh, so Tommy and Trish are driving in the car. Um, so that explains why they're not home. Sarah's getting ready for her deflowering. (laughs) (laughs) She does a lot of prep. We like that. Yeah, she does. Yeah. Puts on like a negligee or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tommy and Trish get home. Their mom's not answering when they call to her. Uh, and Trish is freaked out. She tells Tommy to stay inside and fix the lights while she goes to Rob's campsite, uh, his tent's open, so he, he just she just goes inside, and we get a POV coming up to the to the uh, tent. We're made to think it's Jason, but we can clearly see like Rob's shaggy haircut in the in the shadow. <laughs> yeah, uh, and he slashes through the tent instead of just like looking inside, right? Because <laughs> uh, he thought, you know, it was an attacker, and they're both kind of freaked out. Yeah, I think we have bad decision-making on the parts of both of them here. Uh, yeah, to leave a 12-year-old boy alone when the mom's missing, to, to just go out into the woods. And then sit, I just like to sit in this tent. It's like, okay, you went to go look for him, he's not there. Uh, you shout around and try to find him, or go back home, but... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah, don't stab tents, because, you know, you there might be a bad guy in them. So back with the teens, uh, Jimmy is finishing. He's pumping approximately about a teaspoon of semen out. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Tina's like has her head on his chest and he's freaked out that he was a dead fuck. And he asks her and she says, you know what I think? You were incredible. She wants to do it again. So home run for uh, for old Jimmy. He's a live fuck, it turns out. Yeah, she says she'll be right back. Uh, Teddy is watching stag films. Jimmy comes down and hands him <laughs> Tina's underwear. It's very it's 80s. Like, yeah, very 80s. Uh, the only two times I've ever seen anybody do this panties as trophy thing is like this and 16 Candles. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess like you got like the panty raid and like Animal House and stuff, but that's not really the same thing. Yeah, this is no. Like, it's like it's like check it like out. Your tri- yeah, what I got. <laughs> yeah, I'm always like, even as a kid, I was like, it's just underwear. It doesn't prove anything. You just, I know you just managed to get a pair of underwear. I never really understood like panty sniffers. Too. <laughs> not to get too into the weeds here. 
But it's like, oh, that's kind of fucking gross. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, like, I don't want to start kink shaming anybody here. No, but, no, yeah. But, but that's I, your thing. I, Huff away, boy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's obviously uh, a little fetishy, certainly. It's not for everybody. <laughs> but hey, if it means maybe, maybe there's some way we could use it to get more people to wear masks, you know, in these days. <laughs> What do you think oh about that God. for an idea? Oh, Just yeah. Just like used like panty some... masks. Holy shit. We've stumbled on something. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Let's cut this right. part out of the podcast. All right. Let's make this happen and make our fortune. Okay. I'm going to get make our nut. I'm going to get my production guy on the, on the line. We'll go from there. <laughs> um, so Teddy's getting super drunk. He's just like drinking wine and smoking a joint. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy gets a bottle of gets a bottle of wine and he's looking for the corkscrew. Unfortunately, Jason has that corkscrew. Yeah, and he stabs him through the hand, and then hits him in the meat cleaver right in the face. Yeah, it's a great one-two punch. Pins, yeah, it pins is. him down with the corkscrew. Uh, yeah, the, this is this is one of a handful of the kills in this movie. Where I was just like, yeah, these kills are way better than the last movie. So much better. Yeah, and then. Upstairs, Tina's looking out the window when suddenly Jason just breaks through. And they're on the second story, it should be noted. Makes no goddamn sense. It makes no sense how he got up there yeah. so fast. And uh, she falls in slow motion onto the car. It looks fucking brutal. It's a great stunt. She hits the car. Really yeah, bounces off the top of the car. It, yeah, it's great. It's, it's like a real bump, you know? It is like absolutely, yeah. they had a train stunt person go flying out of a breakaway window and onto the roof of a car. Onto it looks car. awesome. Yeah. The windows in the car shatter. Yeah. It's super cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then we ex- get a scene between Trish and Rob Dyer where he finally explains what he's really there for. And he's hunting the person who killed his sister, Sandra, mm. who is Marta Kober's character from part two. Yeah. And then so that begs the question, mm-hmm. how long has Sandra been missing? <laughs> because really in movie time, it's only been like three days. Three days. Yeah. Uh, and this they talk about this in the documentary. This is just straight up a new screenwriter getting understandably confused about the timeline of these movies. Um but yeah, like as we've discussed, so you have to recap, Friday the 13th takes place present day. Then we jump ahead five years. We have Friday the 13th part two. Then the next day starts Friday the 13th part three. Right. Uh-huh. That unfolds over a weekend at the longest. Yeah, like one or two days. Yeah. And then this one starts days later. Right. Um, the day. Yeah, of? I mean, yeah. it was day- it was daytime when they took uh, the final girl from part three. But then it cuts to night, and the police are back there. So maybe it was that evening. Or right. Something. So to be generous, Sandra, who has been murdered and gone missing during the events of part two, generously has been dead for a week. I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we have and Rob. He's talking about yeah. it as if she's been missing for years. Yeah. And this is just this is just a straight fuck up. And I think I don't know. It's funny. I I'm amused by it because I feel like I like how it sort of indicts the confusing timeline of the movies. Yeah. 
Um, and so he also heard, I rebound this too. I'm pretty sure he says Jesse's body disappeared from the morgue. Like he, he doesn't say Jason, he says Jesse. Uh, maybe. But maybe it's just, I'm just being nitpicky here. <laughs> uh, so Tommy's alone in his house trying to fix the power. Um, eh, I didn't need to bring that up. Nothing happens. <laughs> One of those notes that I probably should have called and be like, yeah, that doesn't really pay off. So it doesn't sure. matter. Yeah, uh, Ted smoking weed and watching mm-hmm. porno. Sarah and Doug are getting it on in the shower. It's actually like really graphic. Yeah. Like, like she he, like wraps her leg around him and like presses her ass against the glass. Yeah. I was like kind of shocked by it in a way. It's some epic shower, butt. Um, yeah <laughs> I mean I th- I feel like that's another 80s thing uh, we don't get enough of anymore is just you know stuff on the glass butts and boobs on glass <laughs> you know put them on the glass is that uh, an 80s thing I don't know maybe I just used to watch more <laughs> softcore when I was yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> it was a before porn was readily available thing you might be right about that um (laughs) the other thing i wanted to note here is uh the timeline and the movements of jason start to get very supernatural oh Um, it's crazy he's everywhere at once yeah we get the kitchen kill with jimmy and then all of a sudden he's outside the house at the upstairs window then he's back in the kitchen again it's all just yeah it definitely is yeah yeah it totally yeah because we uh Ted goes up to the film screen and then Jason stabs him through the uh, through the screen with a machete. It kind of like drags down, doesn't he? Like slice him down. Uh, Jimmy, Teddy, Teddy. Yes, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, that is that is what happens. Through and again, it's once more. It's like all right, let's stab through a thing to stab a person. And right, okay, right, fine, I guess. Uh, so then upstairs, Sarah gets out of the shower to blow dry her hair. <laughs> uh, and then that leaves Paul in there by himself. And Jason, unfortunately, comes in, punches a punches through the shower glass. Yeah. And smashes his face against the title. I mean, the tiles. Yeah. It's real gross and gruesome. It's very graphic. They use a fake head to kind of smash with his hand. Yeah, um, this is another one of the stunts that Ted White objected to and stepped in to argue with the director about on behalf of the cast. Um, apparently, uh, this actor had to do like a real smash against the shower wall without a crash pad, and he and Ted White was like, "Nope, you know, even a stunt man would would want you know a crash pad to land on." And so. right, right, yeah. It seems like Ted is an old school guy. Yeah, where it's like. Yeah, you kids aren't gonna pull any nicky ficky shit on me right now. You know, I'll get my union guy down here to, to <laughs> sort this out. Yeah, and you know what? Sometimes the uh, the power of unions is a very positive thing. And then totally. And then other times you have you know, policemen's unions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Sarah goes back to the bathroom and sees Paul dead. Runs downstairs. The front door is locked. And then Jason throws an axe through the door into her chest, killing her. Yeah, and I was shocked. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's real 
it happens very quickly. It's very quick, and like we talked about before, the movie does sort of seem to be setting Sarah up as like a potential final girl here. Now, I think for me at this point, since we've been so thoroughly introduced to the Jarvis family, I think, mm-hmm. and I one remembered that, yeah, I think Trish is, and Tommy are the ones towards the end of the movie, but but I think it's still a good misdirect. Um, totally. And I can also yeah. see how this kill could could be one, I guess, if you're trying to find ways to prove this idea that Jason kills the sexually active teens. Yeah. She does hook up, uh, whereas Trish does stay celibate for the move for the duration of the movie. But it's also mm-hmm. like a bunch of people who don't fuck also get killed in this movie. Like I just I don't right. I continue to not buy that theory. Right. Yeah, no, Teddy, like the the second twin doesn't fuck and she gets killed. Mhm. Uh Sam doesn't get killed even though she I mean maybe she gets naked, but right. everybody gets naked. Yeah. Um <clears throat> So, Tommy hears somebody at the front door. Uh it's Trish and Rob and uh we see Jason rip the telephone box off the side of the house uh as they're trying to call for help and the line goes dead. Uh, and then, stupidly, Rob and Trish go across the street, street to check on the teens. Yeah, Instead and they're just like looking out for your twelve-year-old brother. Right, and not only that, but literally, Trish says, "Tommy, stay here and lock the door." Mm-hmm. They literally just smashed through the glass to break into the house. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, one, you've proven how easy it is to break in. Two, you have now made it easy for anyone to reach in and unlock the door. Reach in. Yeah. yeah, no, totally. I didn't even think about that. It's a great point. Um, so I, I think this is probably the weakest part of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like the back and forth, because then we get like Trish and Rob get to the teen's house and they poke around. Right. The power goes out. And Rob goes to check the basement for some fucking reason. Um, oh, the dogs with them. Gordon came back. Mm-hmm. He runs through a window. He gets so freaked out. He yeah. just runs through the window. And does um, does Gordon come back, or is that the last Gordon scene? I'm not sure. I think it's probably the last Gordon scene. I, yeah, because I want to believe he just kind of bails, which I this that's what I want to believe happened. Uh, mm-hmm. And hopefully he came back later on and, I don't know, rejoined Tommy and Trish or found a new family, uh, you know, in an existence less just fraught with PTSD. Um, who knows? Uh, we say, uh, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to leave you hanging like that. Uh, at least I I, you're very self-conscious of that. I mean, at least I wasn't talking about, you know, women as sexual objects. So <laughs> you never would. Uh, Trish goes upstairs for some fucking reason. Back at the house, Tommy's flipping through Rob's news clippings of the killings. And gets an artist's recreation of Jason, like what they think Jason mm-hmm. looks like as a child. Yeah. Cr- so we get a whole lot of business here. Uh, Trish sees all the dead bodies. She finds Paul pinned to the wall. Runs downstairs to get Rob. Um, and Jason pops out of the darkness in the basement and stabs Rob to death. Um, she Trish runs out of the house. All no, this. Okay, no. What? Sorry, go ahead. What were you going to... You go ahead, then I'll say what I'm going to say. Yeah, I was just going to say, so Rob's death is very weird. Um, mm-hmm. Because 
one, I thought it kind of conspicuously we don't have any close-ups of it. It's all shot from the stairs, sort of like Trish's angle of seeing it happen. Yeah. Kind of over Jason's shoulder. And I also think, uh, while I have enjoyed the character of Rob uh, up to this point, and I think that uh, Eric Anderson has done a fine job portraying him, like this is a very overwrought, overdramatic death. Just mm-hmm. like he's just like screaming, like he's killing me, he's killing he's me, killing me. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like I was like, I my note was like, I don't remember, but I really hope that this is a fake out death because if this is his real death, it is weird. <laughs> I thought that too, actually. Yeah, yeah it's like okay, so I guess he's coming back. Yeah, but he never does. No, <laughs> he actually just does die. Yeah, and apparently they did shoot uh, a death scene, and for whatever reason they didn't use it. I don't know if it was an, uh, you know, an MPAA ratings thing, or I think just like you had mentioned, there are issues with pacing towards the end here, and I think they are kind of clipping stuff out to mm-hmm. just get to where we need to go a little bit faster. So, yeah, and speaking of that, there's some back and forth. You, I thought this was so dumb, Trish runs away from the basement oh, grabs God, a machete yes. <laughs> and runs back to the basement oh this whole sequence makes no fucking sense yeah and this like i said this is the weakest part of the movie for me yeah because I, I as listeners can probably gather i hate and i'm guilty of this in some of the things i've made I hate just characters going back and forth and back and forth mm-hmm. it's like just be simple about it yeah and um there's and and just to kind of move this ahead a little bit too. So not only is this back and forth to the basin thing silly, but then we get some of the most stereotypical dumb horror survivor behavior here where mm-hmm. so what happens? She goes right, doesn't she go to the front door next? And yeah. one of the twins dead bodies. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Holy shit, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so one of the twins is dead on the porch, on the ground, and she, mm-hmm. like, screams and runs back runs into the away house. from it. Yeah. And, and then, like, ultimately ends up trying to break through the window in the kitchen to escape yeah, the house. she goes to the back the back uh, door, mm-hmm. and Jimmy's hanging there. Yeah. And she, she runs away from that. She breaks a window with a chair and jumps out. Right. Uh, from, like, the second story, too, right? Uh, I, I or is mean, that later? It's I. You know, she takes a dive at least. This is not the big. Oh no, that's yeah, later. It's yeah. not the big fall. That, but yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. just to back up for a second. All she had to do was literally not even jump, just step over the dead body of yes. the twin to go right out the front door of the house. Yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, but she eventually does get back to her house, mm-hmm. and her and Tommy start nailing the door shut. Uh, there's a fucking brutal moment where Jason goes out the back door of the teen's house and just rips Crispin Glover's body, <laughs> yeah. which is like pinned by his hands, uh-huh. like stigmata style. Yeah. He just rips them down. It's pretty it's gr- gross. It's gruesome, yeah. Uh, so Jason throws... Oh, oh yeah, yeah, back at Tommy's house, Jason absolutely launches Rob through a window. <laughs> Yeah, this confirming run. that he is dead. Yeah, and also that Jason is fucking swole. Yeah. <laughs> um, he grabs Tommy. Trish hits him in the head with a hammer and sticks like the claw side into his neck. 
and this is rad. Jason pulls it out of his neck and throws it so hard that it breaks the wall. Like it just leaves a huge <laughs> hole in the wall. Yeah. Showing how strong he is. Uh, they run up to Tommy's room and move a big display case over the door to barricade it. And Jason's like chopping through the door. He finally gets through and Trish throws a TV onto his head. Mm-hmm. It sparks and presumably he's electrocuted. Yeah, I mean. Of course he's not. Right. They don't really even try to sell this as a death that hard. Um, right. It's just another like nitpicky thing here. But one thing I did notice in this scene is, you know, because this this feels like such a pointless exercise for them to be fleeing Jason right now, and especially like going up the stairs and barricading yourself in a room. It's like uh-huh. they, they don't have a phone. He's pulled the phone lines, but they still have power. And there's a big fucking ham radio right behind them the whole time. Oh, wow. Did they're hiding in Tommy's room. And, you know, uh, again, like, this is not important stuff in these movies, but it is one of those things where it's just like, well, I'd like to believe that if you're in a situation like this, it's because you have to be, you know. And So, again, the, the believability thing. Not enough running, I think, is the issue. It's like, this guy is so strong and is, is proven to be such a killing machine that it's like, your best bet is just to flee, you know. Yeah, I mean, in the past three movies, there's always a bit at the end where the heroine is, like, running through the woods. Right. With Jason chasing after her. Mm-hmm. And in this one, it's more of, like, just bouncing from room to room and house to house. Yeah. And not, like, this, like, chase scene, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for better or for worse, I guess in this case, for worse. Um, So they come out of the door and step over Jason but of course he's not dead he comes alive and uh he separates Tommy and Trish and chases Trish uh Jesus Christ chases Trish out of the front door Mm -hmm. into the other house Mm -hmm. she goes up the fucking stairs for some reason yeah and then she jumps out of the second story window and onto the ground the ground visibly bounces when she hits but it's still pretty cool looking. yeah it's still a dope stun and it's still a two-story fall um, yeah exactly and she's not dead but she is just hurt so meanwhile tommy is looking at that picture of jason and shaves his head to look like jason it's a it's a real hail mary it really is yeah i was gonna say like that is a big move he, he really made a choice um so Trish comes back to the house. Jason's behind her. Um, she is holding a machete. This is fucking rad. Uh, she like chops down at his hand and cuts him through the middle and ring finger. Oh yeah, gives and, him like, like a permanent spock. yeah the permanent live long and prosper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It looks really gross. Um, and then she hits him in the chest with the machete. Uh, and then uh, he knocks he knocks her over and is like overpowering her when Tommy runs down with a shaved head and he's like pretending to be Jason like appealing to Jason right. as young Jason very similar to how Ginny did that pretending to be his mom in part two mm-hmm. and so I guess Jason thinks he's looking at himself <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is a little more confusing than the first time they tried this but yeah, you know whatever I'm willing to go with it um, so then, 
sorry, I cut you off. No, it's I, I was just going to say one thing I just I had a note about that I wanted to address is I do think like kudos to Corey Feldman for a kid he does really good work. I do however, especially towards the end of the movie here where he has a lot of like emoting to do and panicking uh-huh. and all that shit. I realized that like I don't think Corey Feldman works as a normal kid. I think he he works as like a precocious smartass, like which is what he is usually cast as, right? So yeah. like Malith and the Goonies or like his role in the Lost Boys. Um, you know, he he works as a sort of wiser than his years uh kind mm-hmm. of motor mouth. And like this movie wants him to be too normal and i don't think he's really pulling it off uh that's interesting yeah because he i mean he is smart a smart kid he can fix things he can make his masks and stuff but he doesn't have that like unhingedness like in like stand by me Mm -hmm. where his character is like a little bit troubled right um and that character is a real smart ass too exactly Yeah. yeah 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 no you're right yeah he's better when he's like quippy i guess mm-hmm. for lack of a better yeah better term yeah um yeah i mean at, at this point too he doesn't have much time to do anything other than like scream and run from room to room yeah uh so then trish comes up from behind jason and hits his mask off and his his face looks completely different his face looks different in every movie now. <laughs> it really does <laughs> um so Tommy grabs the machete and hits Jason in the side of the head with it. And this is so awesome. <laughs> Jason falls forward and just slides down the machete. I love that. Yeah, it is so brutal. Really well done. And uh, kind of maybe a challenge to some of our uh, more eagle-eyed Listeners, I know that there have been a couple other deaths like this one, and mm-hmm. I feel like most of them follow this. So I think this might be one of the earliest. But this whole thing of like sliding or falling down a blade to like further, you know, Ugh. cut or sever—it's so ugh, icky. It's but such it's great. a creepy idea. Yeah. yeah, they do it really well. Uh, so then, uh, oh yeah, that's right. Tommy and Trish hug and Jason's hand starts to twitch like he's not dead, but Tommy notices and he goes fucking hog wild on Jason. (laughs) Just like, we don't see what he's doing, but he's just like hacking him over and over and over, like presumably just chopping him to pieces. Classic disassociation. Yeah. yeah, Trish is like freaked out by what he's doing because it's like the level of brutality. Yeah, and then we fade to white. Trish is in a hospital bed, um, and uh, she's freaked out. She's asking about Tommy, and they say that he's going to be just fine, but he acted violently to protect himself. They send him in, and there's just something off about him now. He's not acting like he used to. Like he's lost that gleam in his eye. Mm-hmm. And they hug, and we hear Jason's theme as he spikes the camera, looks directly into the camera, presumably setting up that he might be the new Jason. Mm, who who knows? knows? We'll find out. We don't know. No we, way of knowing. We definitely don't know. 
Yeah, and that, friends and future lovers, <laughs> it's Friday the 13th, part four, <laughs> the final chapter. So I stopped rattling it off, but the body count pretty high for uh, one of these movies. Uh, I think we got a body count of 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, all said and done. Uh, I didn't include Jason. Should I include Jason? He... I think for the purposes of the film, yes, I think. Re- okay. Regardless of where the franchise decides to go in future movies, I, th- I look at each of these movies as being uh, self-contained, well, at least for the purposes of tallying a body count. Well, you know, I'm going to have to uh, go through the process of retracting my body count amount. Um, I have to fill out a few forms okay, and then enough. mail them to Price. He'll have to ha- get a notary yeah. to sign it. Which is hard to, harder witness. to do these days. Yeah, It is. But, you know, I'm going to officially log my body count as 13. Okay. I like it. Friday the 13th. Woo! <laughs> uh, so, favorite character. Which character did it for you the most, Price? I think I have a guess. Uh, well, wait, is it my favorite character or the one who did it the most for me? (laughs) (laughs) It's favorite character, but I think those two don't have to be. Well, because I believe you're, you're implying that I would have selected, uh, the lovely Judy Aronson as Sam. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But I don't think she has the best character. I think she's extremely attractive and she has a fine character. Um, Mm -hmm. but for me... My favorite character is Jimmy Crispin Glover. Um, yeah, he's got he's got just too many fun, interesting moments. I think, just I mean, again, Crispin Glover is a class of actor. Say what you will about his idiosyncrasies, but he is you know a talented actor who is operating at a higher level than most Friday the Thirteenth cast members in any film. Um, and he makes interesting, odd choices. The dancing, uh, you know, just his affectations and all of that. And I do like his storyline and 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 all of the yeah. I just like I enjoy Crispin Glover in this one a lot. So that's my pick. I know it drives you nuts when we say the same answer, but I mean, unless you're going to pick Corey Feldman or something, there's there's no real comparing to mm-hmm. anybody any other actor in the movie, which I think they all do a fine job, but Crispin Glover is just like, no matter what movie he's in, he brings the Crispin Gloverness to the character. And it's just so interesting to watch like his yeah. choices. So yeah, I, I have to agree with you on that. All right. Well, great. We're in agreement then. Um, and then we have the moment that aged the worst. Uh, hmm. I'll kick this one off. There's not a lot in here that, that, you know, all those special effects look pretty good. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be some, some weird sex stuff going on. The, uh, there's a moment I didn't highlight in my recap, but Paul does make a drop the soap joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. In the does. shower. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I'll, I guess I'll pick that one as, <clears throat> I mean, it doesn't, it wasn't like I was like clutching my pearls when he sure, said it, but sure. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think I, I'll echo what you said. I think this one gets off pretty lightly in terms of uh, its transgressions. Uh, I'll, I'll pick something that I called out uh, earlier on, which is I think Ted's whole gambit with the teddy bear, um, uh. which is just like, it's, you know, it's like, hey, you, you, you want to make out with a teddy bear? And he like holds the bear in their face and then pulls it away and 
goes for an aggressive kiss without, uh, you know, any kind of consent whatsoever. And it's just like, yeah, it's just gross. It's just, uh, yeah, the kind of behavior you hope to see less and less of. Um, and I bet we'll see more and more of as a, as the series goes <laughs> on. Yeah. I feel like they just eventually stop, you know, caring. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I don't think. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not optimistic. Uh, so this movie we said at the top is full of some pretty great deaths. Oof, yeah. Probably the best in the series, for my money, is I, up to this point. I think so. I think front to back. I think yeah. We've got this is this is the best stuff and and totally. I mean, you just have to give credit for that to Tom Savini. Yeah. What would you say was your favorite? Um, well, I'm on the fence about two. So Me too. Oh, okay. So I'll go. I'm going to go with my instincts. Oh, this is tough. This is really hard. Um, okay. I will say for the craft involved in pulling it off. And the fact that it spends much more time under the microscope and on the screen than my other favorite. I'm going to go with Jason's death at the end of this, I think. The effect, okay. the effect, especially the sliding down the machete and further yeah. slicing the head in two is great. And it, clearly a lot of work went on into pulling that off. And it's just gruesome and it works really well. That, that was uh, my second choice, so mm-hmm. or one of my choices, so I'll go with the other. And it might surprise you; it's actually the fall from the window onto the car. Wow, it does surprise because me. it looks like it hurts. Yeah, in like a very realistic mm-hmm. way, like her body kind of bounces off and falls off the car. Um, and I want to give honorable mention to that initial kill of Axel and the more twisting his head all the way around. Cause that was like yeah. super shocking. That was my, other uh, one. yeah. Yeah. But that, I, I think that that fall onto the car is just so well executed. Sure. And not gory, but nonetheless effective. Yeah. I, I love that. I think those are solid picks. So here on kill streak, we like to rate the scariness of the movies, uh, in comparison to the film output of the director, John Carpenter, uh, certainly a bump up in scariness from part three. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a proposal, Eric. Yeah. Um, because uh, I went back and I've been listening to our catalog, and if I'm not mistaken, I think the last three consecutive episodes, we have landed on the same choice for the Carpenter scale. Uh-huh. Um, and additionally, because of the limited amount of films that John Carpenter has directed, there yeah. are only so many options for evaluating on the Carpenter scale. Sure. I do love the Carpenter scale, and I want to retain it. How would you mm-hmm. feel about making this uh, a joint award that you and I decide together? Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. I thought you were going to say get rid of the carpenter oh, scale which God, i was no. going to come through the screen <laughs> and slap you silly <laughs> no 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 never 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 uh i just think i think yeah it's uh, because our, our options are going to be so limited over time uh yeah, yeah. why don't we uh, where are you thinking what is what so, are you feeling i was just looking at it uh i think somewhere this falls somewhere around uh prince of darkness mm-hmm. 
or um, uh, in the mouth of madness okay. territory I in think, terms of scariness? Sure. I think that's fair. I think for me, I I think I've, I've said this before maybe, but I, I think that that Prince of Darkness lives a step above in the mouth of madness in terms of mm-hmm. scariness. I think it's more effective and I think it's just scarier subject matter. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think that this one is an improvement but it's like the bar is pretty low for Friday the 13th period. This is not yes. like a super scary series. Um, so, yeah, if I if I was tasked with choosing between those two, I would say In the Mouth of Madness works for me. That would be that would be my pick of year 2. Oh. Do do you have a uh, an alternate proposal? No, I think that I think that you're in the right range there. I think that that's okay. I think that's about right. I mean, for me, those two movies almost. I mean, just to to get a little more brass tacks about how I think about this, mm-hmm. that's almost the dividing line between is this scary, is this not scary. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And to me, in the mouth of madness is like no, it's not a scary movie. But it's right on the underside of that, where it's like if they cranked it up a little bit more, it would it would be something I consider scary. And then yeah. you know, and then obviously there there are gradations that go up and down from there. But it's almost like if it's a one to ten, that's kind of five and six for me. Yeah, that's yeah, I I agree with everything you just said. Um, and you know, one of these days. Well, I don't know. I don't know where it's going with that. I was going to make a Starman joke, but fuck it. I always make a Starman joke. <laughs> There'll be a Starman sooner or later. Yeah, it'll be a Starman. Yeah. Uh, so finally, before we move on to our brand new segment, I'd like to introduce. Um, I don't know, it'll be a recurring segment, but mm. hey, um, we'll see. Pass or fail. Does this movie, is this movie that you should, Mm -hmm. is this a movie that you should seek out and watch if you're, you know, have limited time watching this series? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Do you, did you want to add something else to that? No. So I'm starting to think about this in a little bit more of a binary way until it comes time to rank the series at the end, especially Mm because I want to leave a little bit of guessing for the, for the listener. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to just wear my heart on my sleeve the whole way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for now, uh, and we've talked about this in the past, of this being almost like a pass fail kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so this is a pass. I think this is a good one. And when I go through and, uh, you know, try to do my sorting of the series, I'm definitely going to start with, I liked these, I didn't like these. And this is definitely mm-hmm. going in the, I liked these pile. I think this is a fun Friday the 13th movie. Yeah, same. It's a, it's a, it passes for me as well. Cool. That's great. All uh, right. All right. Um, can we take a very brief break and then get into your segment? Sure can. All right. Okay, for our final segment here today on Kill Streak, uh, last week Mike Price gave me a quiz, a Family Feud style game, and so I figured I would return the favor, and I have devised Ooh. a quiz for him to take. Yay! <laughs> so it's come up earlier. Uh, we've mentioned it a few times throughout this series that critics typically were not very kind to Friday the Thirteenth or really horror movies in general, especially Mm -hmm. around this time. 
they're really looked down upon by serious movie critics. Mm-hmm. Chief among them, Roger Ebert. Yeah. Who has, I mean, he's liked some, some horror movies, but for the most part, this was not his chosen genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's given some bad reviews to some good movies, some obviously bad movies. <laughs> and what I would like to do is present you with a snippet from a review. Okay. And uh, have you guess which movie he is reviewing? Well, this sounds fun. All right. And so we can do it two ways. Okay. A, what I think we'll do is you can guess mm-hmm. uh, without any options. Okay. And then, but if you feel like you need to, I have made it multiple choice. Got it. So yeah, kind of. So like... I think I think maybe like you think about it, and if you need another clue, I'll give you the multiple choice. Yeah. I mean, if we ever needed to score this in the future, you could just get two points for getting it without the multiple choice or one point for exactly yeah yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking of that but then since you weren't competing against anybody um so i will say there's a few standalone movies mm-hmm. uh there's a few series okay. i don't need the individual movie just the series if okay. it is a series great uh in, in most cases it will say which number in the franchise it is okay so i'm gonna take a clear my throat <clears> throat and here we go. I'm ready. So, this review, this movie he gave one and a half stars. The Blank series has a reputation in the movie business as sort of a high-rent answer to the Friday the 13th saga. And this third episode lives up to that billing. It's slick, it has impressive production values, and the acting is appropriate to the material. So why did I find myself so indifferent to the movie? <laughs> Wow. Okay. A high rent alternative to Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the third installment that he's talking about that the has. The third installment, yep. Okay. Well, shit. Um, if you would like, uh, if you don't want to go into mm-hmm. full on multiple choice mm-hmm. mode, I can give you a decade. Um, can you read it to me one more time? Sure. The blank series has a reputation in the movie business as sort of a high rent answer to the Friday the 13th saga. And this third episode lives up to the billing. It's slick. It has impressive production values and the acting is appropriate to the material. So why did I find myself so indifferent to the movie? One and a half stars. Okay. Yeah. Why don't you give me the decade? Uh, 80s. All right. All right. That kind of makes sense. I mean, if it's an alternative to Friday the 13th. Wow, this is a real stumper. I think I'm going to have to go with uh, multiple choice here. Okay. Is it Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, or Scream? I kind of, by saying it's in the 80s, you can disagree. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, I'm going to go with... Um, it's got to be Nightmare on Elm Street because Halloween 3 is too weird to to get that building. Billing and Scream is not the 80s. So, yeah. You are correct. And I will uh, now amend. I will not give you the decade. <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> if fine. If we're going to go the multiple yeah. choice route. Yeah, I mean, also, like, I mean, I'm pe- fucking super pedantic like this. But, like, I think this just denotes how, 
limited his understanding of this genre is to yeah. to call Nightmare on Elm Street a high rent answer to Friday the Thirteenth. Like that's it shows like a lack of understanding of both of those series. I think. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, um, especially the like part two wasn't wasn't exactly considered a success right. in the in the. Uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street series, right. so it's calling it a high rent. Yeah, is I guess he's yeah. just talking about the first movie. Yeah, and also, I mean, this is probably the point of this whole exercise. But Dream Warriors rules. He's yeah, completely yeah. wrong. That movie's awesome. That movie rules. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Okay, so next we got a zero star review. Woo, zero stars. Okay, a vile bag of garbage named blank is playing in Chicago theaters this week. It is a movie so sick, reprehensible, and contemptible that I can hardly believe it's playing in respectable theaters. Attending it was one of the most depressing experiences of my life. Jesus. Yeah. All, right. All right, well, uh, go ahead and give me the multiple choice. There's not a lot of specifics there other than yeah. he didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I... I this is one of his more famous reviews, uh-huh. I'd say. Last House on the Left, <clears throat> Human Centipede, or I Spit on Your Grave. Um, I'm going to go with I Spit on Your Grave. Correct. All right. I mean, it's the movie that's the most deserving of that review, probably. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, I'll just I'll just give these to you as multiple choice. All right. Unless, well, yeah. Why don't you just read it, and if I don't have an immediate guess, then we'll go through yeah, the multiple exactly. choice yeah, answers. Yeah. yeah, sure. So, two star review. Now, here's a grisly little item. Blank <laughs> is as violent and gruesome and blood soaked as the title promises. A real grand. Uh, Fuck, I never heard how to say this. A real grand guignol? Guignol, something. Yeah, I don't... Or gui, or... I I don't know any fucking French, and I've seen that term my whole life, and I've never bothered to learn it. Um, Is it it Blumhouse or Bloomhouse? (laughs) Is it Weingard or Wingard? (laughs) Okay. Uh, A real grand whatever of a movie. It's also without any apparent purpose... Unless the creation of disgust and fright is a purpose. Okay. Can you read just the first line one more time? Now, here's a grisly little item. Blank is as violent and gruesome and blood-soaked as the title promises. Okay. All right. Give me the multiple choices. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Saw. Maniac. It's got to be Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. All right. Two stars. One and a half, two stars. Yeah. One I of mean, the best guess, movies ever made, in my opinion. Two stars. Yeah, I mean, I guess on his scale, it's high. Yeah. One and a half stars. Bad guys are great. There's nothing quite like a malevolent presence that implicably wishes evil on everyone in town. A guy with a sneer and a mustache and an upset stomach. A guy totally unlike the evil entity in blank. The horror in this movie, alas, isn't a bad guy at all. Doesn't have a shape 
or a face or a personality, may not even be a guy, is a presence that causes the worst sorts of things to happen. Who upsets the dog and causes the doors to bang open and makes the house too cold all the time, and in short, makes things just like Chicago. Jesus. <laughs> one of my favorite reviewers. Not, not one of his better no. reviews, I would say. Oh, uh, wow. I mean... Yeah, it's got to be a ghost story thing. It sounds like it could maybe be Final Destination, but I'm going to go ahead and, and hear the choices. Okay. Poltergeist, mm-hmm. Amityville Horror, House on Haunted Hill. Okay. I mean, I want to have a little bit of faith in Roger Ebert, so I'm going to take Poltergeist off the list. I'll go with the Amityville Horror. You're correct. Woohoo! All right. Nailing this quiz. <laughs> All right, I got two more. Okay. Two star review. It's a little sad to witness a fall from greatness. And that's what we get in Blank 2. Blank was one of the most effective horror films ever made. A scarifying fable of a mad dog killer's progress through a small town. Do we have? I, I, I uh, have to stop there. Okay. Uh, no, actually I won't. I'll finish it with that. That movie inspired countless imitations, each one worse than the last. Uh, wow. Okay. I mean, it sounds like Halloween. Go ahead and give Correct. me. Correct? Okay, great. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll take it. Uh, the choices were Halloween, Psycho, or Jaws. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great, great. All right, one All left. Right, so fi- f- final one. This might be difficult. Uh, I'll say... No, I won't say anything. <laughs> yeah, is- you don't have to help me. It's like I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One and a half stars. Mm-hmm. My mistake was to read the interview with the director. At the beginning of my review of blank, I typed my star rating instinctively. One star. I was outraged. I wrote, what a waste of a perfectly good first act. And what a maddeningly, maddening, nihilistic, infuriating ending. I was just getting warmed up. And then, I don't know, I looked up at the movie, I looked the movie up on IMDb and there was a link to an interview with blank, the film's writer and director. And I went there, read it, and looked at his photo. He looked to be in his 20s. This was his first film. So, I thought, Blank is a kid. This is his first movie. And as much as I hate it, it's a competent movie that shows he has the chops to be a director. So I gave it one and a half stars instead. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> a little condescending. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll need to hear the options. Yeah. The Strangers, You're Next, or Cabin Fever? The problem I'm faced with here is that I've never seen The Strangers. So, would you mind rereading the portion about the first act and the ending again? Uh, I was outraged. 
I wrote, what a waste of a perfectly good first act and what a maddening, I can't say that for some reason, and what a maddening, maddening, mm-hmm. nihilistic, infuriating ending. I was just getting warmed up. Okay. I'm going to rule out Cabin Fever just on, like, the first act of Cabin Fever is very uh, by the numbers, I feel like. So I'm going to take that one off. Strangers, as I've mentioned, I've never seen. What was my other option? It was your next? Yeah. First film. First film. Was your next Adam Wingard's first film? I don't think it was. All right, I'm going to go with The Strangers. The Strangers is correct. Woo! All right. Nailed it. Made it through. Hey, great sh- Great showing here. Thank you. That was very fun. Thank you for putting that together for me. Of course. Uh, All right, guys. That just about does it on our uh, episode on Friday the 13th, the final chapter. As you can probably guess, there's more. Uh, (laughs) Not actually the final chapter. Taking a look at, what's the full title? Friday the 13th. Is it a new? I'll pull it up. It's a new beginning. beginning? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And it uh, looks like... Join us here. uh, Just to be clear, the five is not in the title. It is called Friday the 13th, A New Beginning. That's it. Right. Right. Oh, you know what? I could have just looked at my fucking shirt. Yeah, that's a good (laughs) point. Uh, Well, it's not that easy to look at your own shirt, you know? Um, It says uh, Friday the 13th, part five, new beginning. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's not what IMDb says, but who knows? Um, who knows? But yeah, we will be back. Uh, I forget if this is a Monday or a Thursday episode, but uh, the next one will be this. So either Monday or Thursday, <laughs> you guys can figure it out. Um, oh, hey, and also take a, take a listen to at least the end of our first Friday the 13th episode if you haven't. We had a segment called uh, Scored to Death. And uh, we've got some guesses coming in as yeah. to what the final uh, song was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you would like to take a guess, you can leave us a voicemail. Uh, and where can they do that? They can do that at our website, anchor.fm slash killstreakpod. Uh, oh, voicemails are great. If you don't want to talk to us, you just want to leave us a message, you can email us at killstreakpod at gmail.com. That is correct. And as always, oh, God, I'm horny.